Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, culminators. Thank you for once again joining us here. I am Ron Coleman, your host. And today we have a couple. In fact, now that I think about it, this is the first time we have had a couple uh on one microphone, on one camera, using one microphone, I assume, uh, a married couple, moreover, the Feldmans, David and Miriam Feldman, out of Chicago, Illinois, where I have spent many, where I spent many fine years. I'm going to talk about marriage. And part of one, one way that I preserve my marriage is by not asking my wife to come on to Culmination <laughs> Podcast, because she just... She's just that kind of uh, lady that she doesn't like to do that kind of thing. But maybe someday, David and Miriam, welcome. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank I want to show folks a little bit about, David and I met on Twitter. Uh, and if you go to David's uh, Twitter, uh, which is actually called... Um, Building Great Marriages. Building Great Marriages. You will find a link to David Feldman. Let's work together to build your great marriage. This is a gigantic thing, folks. It requires work and it requires marriage, which <laughs> is something that is increasingly out of style. Although I remember, I think it was Amy Wax, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, who wrote about how marriage has become an institution in America that's largely the preserve of the upper, mid upper middle class and upper classes. Absolutely, yeah. That's a that's a pretty big mistake, isn't it, for for a society? I would say so, and and it really seems like we're seeing the we're reaping the rewards of that choice, at, you know, currently today. That's for sure. And, and how how would you make the connection between the corrosion and virtual disappearance of marriage, except again among the better educated and better off classes? Um, to the social decay that watch listeners to this podcast and people watching us on video probably understand what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that, it, you know, it's, it's almost like you're asking me to explain why water is wet. I mean, it's, you know, um, when you have two people who, a man and a woman who are dedicated to a, you know, creating a, a microcosm of the world inside their own home, with citizens, so to speak, and people who they're responsible for, children, and and um, create a sense of safety, security, love, openness, you know, commitment, loyalty. You can't help but produce people who are going to take those same values and bring them into the world around them. Well, you say you can't help. I mean, there are obviously plenty of products of nuclear families that are absolutely atrocious people. Yeah, but imagine how much worse technically those people could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I've gotten ahead of myself. 
yeah. why don't you introduce yourselves? Tell me uh, how it is how it is that you as a pair are engaged in this endeavor that's called DovidFeldman.com and the services that David Feldman provides. Sure, sure. And of course, that's, you know, my, as you'll see when my wife speaks about her projects, she also has a, a, a separate kind of uh, path that she takes to help people. But together, we have a program that we, um, that we offer. It's called Recreating Intimacy. And since I'm a licensed marriage therapist, um, what we do is we bring aboard or we invite other you know, couples who are struggling in their marriage to work with both of us to you know, teach them and to work with them and to help guide them in bringing some foundational principles into their relationships, 99% of which help improve their relationship tremendously. And these are some basics, Ron, that I think that you and I are familiar with. You know, if you grew up in a Torah household or a Jewish home that, you know, has some tradition to it, or even a, a religious home, doesn't have to be Jewish, it could be any, any, any religious home. These are more traditional values that are often missed by many couples and that couples struggle with today. And so I'm able to offer that from my side. My wife has her part, which she'll share what she does with the women, which is a little different than what I do. Okay, so you've just clarified one of my questions. When you say we work together, couple comes to you and they pair off. Not really. Um, oh, okay. I do the marriage therapy part. So what I do is I work with both the husband and wife. Interestingly, I work with them separately. So it's not like traditional marriage therapy where you put like an angry lion and a hungry tiger in the same room and then you see what happens. I don't. <laughs> I will tell you, not that I know from such things. Imagine one spouse, I just, one spouse comes in and says, she she does, she never lets me talk. He always hits me. And, and whatever it is, the complaint is, usually it involves domination a claim by one that he or she is being dominated by the other. And here they are sitting in therapy and they're supposed to, he's, she's going to say something that's going to get her a black eye when they leave the, the therapist's office. <laughs> and, and even worse, a broken heart, you know, a black eye is terrible, of course, but sometimes words are said in a therapist's office, you know, under the guise of being honest or authentic or truthful, and they could never be taken back. You know, because the, because that's when the spouse is the most authentic and they could at the same time be the most hurtful. So I don't I don't participate in that. None of my clients go through any of that. Um, part of my program is a couple of joint sessions. But even in those joint sessions, it's never a, just a free flowing, you know, tell me what's wrong type scenario. It's always we know what we're going to be talking about. They're guiding what we're going to say, and it's always for the sake of bringing the couple together. So, yeah. So that's what I do. So I do the marriage therapy. I work with each one separately. We have some modules, things like communication, how to be a good listener, increasing positivity and gratitude, how to set boundaries, which very difficult for men. Most men are, are yes men, and it's hard for them to know how to effectively set boundaries in relationships. How do you say no to your wife? What do you mean? What do you mean in that? Yes men in terms of... They'll just say yes to whatever she says. Is yeah. That what that yeah. How is that a boundaries issue? That sounds, oh, his own boundaries. Yeah, his own boundaries. Yeah, boundaries, by the way, boundaries are not things that we set for other people. Boundaries are things we set for ourselves. That's very important. That's the first lesson we learn about boundaries is that a boundary isn't, you know, hey, you be nicer to me. That's not a boundary. That's, that's something else. 
but um, a boundary is how we choose to show up and behave. And most men have a hard time with that because they want to please their wives and they want to do what she says. And they've been taught that, you know, happy wife, happy life. And the more they say yes, and which is all true, there's all truth to that. I'm not taking that away, but sometimes it's just one of the modules. You know, it's just one of the things we have to learn is how to say no, when to say no. Don't let it build up over time and then explode at your wife. Don't use passive aggressive behavior. Learn how to effectively set boundaries. You know, one of the one of the challenges about boundaries is that I don't know we're diving into this already, but one of the challenges about boundaries is that it oftentimes feels like because I'm saying no to you, I'm rejecting you, right? That's what most people feel when they are a boundary is set on them. When in reality, a boundary is a way of saying, I love you and I'm setting up this limitation in our relationship to keep us closer and keep us together. Good so, intentions make good neighbors. There you go. Excellent. But so also, in other words, I'm establishing what your expectations reasonably should be. I mean, and hopefully you find these these boundaries to be reasonable also. that That's going to be part of the problem or maybe part of the problem. But the point is, you need, you need to know what I'm up for doing. Exactly. And not more than that. Okay. So you, 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 they come in, they start with you, you beat them up a little bit. You, you know, there's a little bit of, maybe there's a joint session, but then you, they, they come in and speak to you individually. You know, you know, they set themselves up, you knock them down. When does, when does Miriam come into the picture? <laughs> so I have a, a website called miriamruchel.com and I'm a mind-body somatic healer, a trauma specialist and, and marriage coach. And what I do with the women, so I only speak to the women and the women get three sessions with me. But what I'm doing is that I'm taking them into their bodies to process if there's any resentment, if there's any trauma, sometimes even not from this relationship that they're in now. But what's so I think special about our program is that a lot of times some women will like schlep the men to the program because they want changes um, and they get to vent to my husband about things like each person, like each person comes either wanting, they obviously want a better marriage together, but sometimes it's just like one partner has tried to change the other partner and it hasn't worked. So when they get to my husband, it's very nice because then they get to complain and vent and all that kind of stuff. And my husband's a great listener. And then he brings them into, okay, let's see what you can do. Like what's your part in making changes here and shifts. And then I also come in in terms of just having individual sessions with the women so that um, if there's, the stuff from the relationship that they're holding on to that doesn't work, anger, resentment, sadness, grief. Then as a somatic healer, I'm able to take them into their body. And this is all done over the phone. And um, and we get to that kind of release and relief. And um, like we switch neural pathways so that they can show up in the relationship also in just a better place. Your training is in what? As a holistic my, my training is as a, a mind-body somatic healer. Somatic healer. Somatic healer, yes. Somatic means like with the body. With the body. So, and I always explain. Psychosomatic. Somatic, the body and the mind. Yes. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So, um, especially women are emotional beings and just like men are, but um, the seat not of- Not just our- like men are. <laughs> just as men are, but not just like men are. <laughs> right. So (laughs) emotions are held in the body and they're physical sensations in the body. 
So I always explain to the women that um, that what my husband does, what David does with them is more more speaking and guiding, that kind of thing. But for me, or with me, I'm going to listen to them, but then we're also going to drop into the body to notice what's happening in there. Is your jaw clenching? Is your stomach, you know, is it dropping? What's going on in there? Because that can not only shift and change things, but it can also give us guidance in terms of what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Intuition. That kind of thing and intuition and drop into intuition as well. And the women love the sessions because they feel they're being heard. They feel like there's changes being made inside them so that things can be better for them on an individual level and also with their husbands. Sure. I mean, couples, I think, learn to understand signals that there's that they're partners are giving out after a certain amount of time unconsciously certain kinds of breathing certain kinds of movement and sometimes they're unconscious unconscious themselves of perceiving it but they react to it is that i mean do you, do you ever do you help couples realize that, that that this is happening is that ever part of of the therapy or the... well, it's more that again i'm only working with her right right so... i that, as i asked that i realized that could be tricky yeah, no, so I'm only working with her. Um, and so she'll share with me what's going on for her. And I'll be, you know, we'll drop in. Where do you feel that in your body? So your husband, you know, says this, or you said this to your husband, then he responded this way. Um, your child is speaking this way to you. Where do you feel it in your body? And And then we dive into different tools and techniques to help them not just process it, but you know, get wisdom from it. And what's so nice about the work we do together is that um, I can also share with my husband what's going on, what she's saying, how things are affecting her, what can be better. And then he, you know, can go to the husband and speak to the husband. And sometimes it's just, you know, some, we get really great people and, you know, who really want to connect and really want something better. So they're just so happy when, when we're finding answers and solutions for them and then they can make the changes they need. And then it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about you guys and the distribution of labor here. Now you're both trained in different modalities. They're complementary, obviously, or you wouldn't be able to work together, but there's clearly a division of labor here. And it's not an even division of labor because one of you only works with one sex and one of you works with both. One answer could be, well, because this is how I was trained, this is how I was trained, but that's probably not going to be satisfactory to a lot of people listening to this, especially because your, uh, your background, Miriam, presumably would work for both, listening to both men and women explain their, you know, how emotional phenomena affect their you know, their well-being. So explain to me, I mean, I, I might be able to figure it out, but explain <laughs> to listeners what this is about. Yeah. Okay. So um, first of all, I work individually with women who have nothing to do with the program at all. They just, you know, find me online also. or through my writings. Yeah. Also, I do, I have, you know. No, that was my assumption. I should have been clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, I have like a totally separate business where, you know, women find me through my writings and, um, you no, publish on, on Chabad.com, I see. So, uh, so. Chabad.org, I publish on that. Org, but I, right. you know, published in other Facebook. places and I 
Facebook a lot and just a big blog post and um, emails, that kind of thing. You leave the email, you leave, I mean, so you leave, you leave Twitter to dub it or are you on Twitter also? I do leave Twitter to dub it. I literally kind of go, I'm like conflict, you know, resistant. And so I go in yeah, yeah. a little bit, but I go, you It's know. kind of a male space to tell you the truth. When the women who, <laughs> women who pull it off are, they're doing something or another, but it's not not something that everyone wants to do. <laughs> right. So I like, and it's funny because I wrote a book called God Said What? Hashtag My Orthodox Life. And so when I was um, writing the book, you know, my editors were saying, you've got to get on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I'm so, I love Facebook. You know, I love LinkedIn. No, you got to get on Twitter. I'm just like, okay, we'll try it. You know, that kind of thing. But in my body, I was like, oh my gosh, no. Anyway, so why we why we decided to do the program that way? I guess um, I guess because what would you say? Why did we make that distinction? Well, I think what happened really is that um, many therapists and just coaches in general don't like working with couples. It's it's hard work. Marriage therapy is a very you have to be a certain type of person. You have to have a certain type of resiliency. You have to. Have, you know, be able to take it on the chin a lot, you know, um, make people, make both sides feel comfortable, make both sides feel heard. It's a, it's a fine um, art, so to speak, as well as a science. And before I started, before I started doing the marriage therapy, my wife really in her practice wasn't really involved with marriages so much. And she didn't really want to get involved in marriages. Well, I mean, I, I coach individually the women and they can talk to me about the marriages, but it wasn't, again, this together thing because we've seen what happens when both, you know, the man and woman show up in a session together. It can get tricky if things aren't prepared properly. So, I, but I would work with the women by themselves. Yes, yeah. No, my wife definitely worked in relationships and, and women in marriage, but, and I happen to love working with marriages. I, I love it. I, I find uh, a, a energy there. You know, my, my basic premise always is that if you're married, it means that you love each other. And if you love each other, then your feelings towards each other and your goodwill and positivity is right there, right below the surface. And my job is really just to reveal that and and help couples put in place some basic, basic um, methods that keep it, your love at the surface and, and, and shining and between you two. It's really not, I, I, part of my thing. In other words, you're, you are a real marriage counselor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a real marriage counselor and, and I have something unique in that I'm, I'm, I'm pro marriage. So it's not just that I'm helping people. Like I, I, I rarely, rarely work with people on getting divorced or something like that. It's not, it's not part of my practice. My job is to keep, and my job, and I, it's very stated as you see on Twitter, is to help couples come back together. That's why the name of the program is called Recreating Intimacy. That's the name of the program. And so I felt like I was doing a good job, a great job, but I felt the women needed more. They needed something else. It, it, you know, talking to me and learning learning how to be a great wife and what it, what their husband needs is terrific but they needed something, they needed the feminine and that I couldn't offer them. So I invited my wife to come participate in the program and just work with the women. And I and I have to be honest with you, I oftentimes, after they have their first session with my wife, I oftentimes lose them as a client. They say, okay, David, you're great, but can this I- is what, This is really what I need. <laughs> well, but, that's, but that's incredible because that takes the pressure off it takes the pressure off the off the the marriage relationship, at least to some extent. She says, "I need there's stuff that I yes. need to work on myself 
because you mentioned you you made reference several times, David, to this idea that I how am I going to change him? Which we know is always a great formula, right? How am I going to change him? How am I going to change her? People, so you know the famous statement of Rabbi Yisrael Solanter. It's easier to change a single. It's easier to learn the entire Torah and the Talmud than to change a single character uh, um, trait. Yeah. I mean, you, as you said, you're, you're offering tips and tricks. There are ways for a person, and I guess this actually leads up to a next question. People, have you found that people can really change? It's not. This is my. This is my um, approach. Of course, I'd love for people to change their, you know, their essential character you know we all want to do that right that's the holy grail of self-actualization and enlightenment and service of god of course i don't find that that's really necessary i find that Good thing because i don't know if you've heard this but it's harder <laughs> to change okay yeah i find that most you know most couples they have a background of a fantastic relationship when they first started you know, they, they did. No one's getting married to somebody who they can't stand, they can't get along with, that they find difficult to communicate with, and that they're having trouble living with. People don't get married under those conditions. I, I think you could certainly say that now more than I mean, going back to our original comments where people don't get married anyway. People who used to marry just based on physical attraction, they're not getting married anymore. If anything, they live together for months or years. Yeah. And it, but they're not going to get they're probably not going to get married unless of course other complications come along and then someone somehow they feel they ought to but i mean i think perhaps in an earlier era there might have actually been more than that than there is now oh yeah yeah definitely you mean that people would get married for reasons you're they, saying they would get married well i mean in other words oh well, that's right either they were it was an arranged marriage or it was you know a socially necessary marriage that they themselves felt impelled to, to, to do, which I think is much less common in our time. Or, uh, you know, as we have in our time, people don't get married. You know, if they meet in a bar, they meet or they meet in, you know, in, in some other kind of environment that makes them want to, you know, be together a lot. They don't feel a great need to solemnize that by becoming married people. Um, but today, I mean, you have obviously religious people such as ourselves, where it's a, you know, we've got a, pr a process and a procedure and a lot of things are vetted before the couple even meets. And then you're trying to, then you're looking for compatibility. But people do know each other for extended periods of time. So if they decide to get married, I mean, in the secular world, so they, they know each other for usually for a very long time. And if they decide to get married, as you say, there was, there's a reason that they did that. It should work out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, you know, my job, what I look at my job is, is to bring out that innate, you know, positivity and, and goodwill and treat each other respectfully and kindly and with gratitude and to notice what each couple is doing, each member of the couple is doing correctly and to focus on all the good things. One of the first things I ask um, my clients on their very first session is to give me five things they five reasons they fell in love with their spouse. I've never gotten less. This no, I'm talking about a spouse who's angry. They're coming to me because they're not happy with their partner. So I in the first session I am already turning the tide and I say, okay, I got it. I heard off you know, 45 minutes into it. I get it. You're upset, and I totally understand. 
let's talk about five reasons why you're in love with your husband or wife or wife. I've never had somebody start out with five. They've never ended with less than 20. And it's usually because we're running out of time in the session. Okay. Because underneath all that pain is how they really feel about their spouse. All the good things that they know to be true about their spouse. And I say, this list is now our guidepost moving forward. So let me ask you something as you, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of something that I hear all the time when people are explaining why they got divorced. And they'll say, we grew apart. We grew apart. You buy that? No. I didn't think so. Yeah, no, I don't believe in growing apart. What I do believe is that the marriage got cold. And that's, that's to me, when I hear you grew apart, that means that you stopped seeing the good in each other. You stopped communicating, you know, in a connecting way. You stopped prioritizing each other. You stopped taking interest in your partner's interests. You decided that you no longer wanted to sacrifice for your partner. You most likely aren't having intimacy anymore. And you envisioning a future without your without your spouse. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you grew apart. You allowed the difficulties and pains of life and relationships to divide you, which is really sad. And it's I mean, I will say that every time I've heard that, what I usually see is someone, usually the husband, <laughs> whose options expanded as his wife's contracted and rather than fall back on his commitment to her he found it impossible to project that expansion of opportunities for something younger better more fun or indeed you know perhaps he grew you know i've grown a lot i don't only mean in my waistline since we got married since jane and i Hani and i got married I, I always say we're the last people to be married in the 80s. We were married December 26th, 1989. Uh, um, of course, I, I'm not nearly, I'm not the person I was, but neither, and neither is she, the person she was. But you want, the, what you want is to say, as I've grown, I want to take my, the person I love along with me on this growth experience sure. not i've grown and i'm i'm right. in a different league now <laughs> right. and i can do but better that's, that's because you and your wife not only have that commitment but you also have those values and you've also worked on your personality traits and my husband and i were talking the other day about that that a lot of stuff does come down to values and personality traits and how much um you know, each of us is willing to uh, change. And one of the things that I want to say is that when a, um, a husband or wife do come to us and, you know, complain about the other, I mean, some of the complaints are really real oh, and yeah. there does need to be change on the other person's side. And that's why I think God David's involved in that, because when I do, you know, I, I, um, I trained with Laura Doyle as part of relationship training and she does like the empowered wife and um, has a very different paradigm approach to, um, to to marriage and empowering women in terms of making differences in their marriage. But what's nice about David is that he does speak to the women, he does speak to the men, and they can both complain, and yet he can um, complain about the partner. So that feels really good to 
to them, you know, each of them. And at the same time, he can, and then he can go to the other spouse. I mean, he does stuff over WhatsApp as well, not just in sessions. Hey, this is what I'm is being shared with me. Can we, you know, look at it this way? Can we change this? So he's highly involved in getting each of them to change, not just the one who's like complaining. It's not like he's just going to throw it back at that person. He is going to go to the other one and say, hey, look, we need to, you know, shift some things on your part too. And I think that's such a release and a relief for the partner that they have someone to talk to and that they have someone who they can like, yeah, an advocate for each of them. You know, he can, he can sometimes become the punching bag, which is like, I'm like, you know, it's a pretty big deal. But most of the time he just, they just feel like they have an advocate, someone in their corner and, and things and get, get done. Things, get, things changed. get done. You know, changed. Like, some yeah. things are emotional. Sometimes it's an emotional change. Like, you know, if the husband's critical, I, you know, but he, you know, I, I had this one guy on this thing where, you know, he was texting his wife critical texts and she was complaining to me about it. So we set up this thing with this gentleman. I said, okay, she's going to be forwarding your texts now. If I see any criticism, it's 250 bucks per critical per criticism. <laughs> that's not right away. I don't even see that even happen, right? It's 250 bucks. Was it just or was it merely a matter of dehabituating him from doing that? I mean, obviously, he mentally he has two problems, right? One is that he's hypercritical of his wife. I'm assuming that she's not an, an, you know, an utter jerk deserving of all this criticism. He's hypercritical of her and he can't stop himself from expressing every little thing that bothers him about her. So you have gotten rid of problem number two. Does that get rid of problem number one? No, 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 no. It's a very holistic program. But, you know, just like in the Torah, it says, right? This was what I was about to ask you, because it seems to me that as in cognitive therapy, and this is a very, very typical Torah value. And I once wrote an article on the Beyond BT blog about how we, the Torah tells us to do all kinds of things, whether we feel like it or not. And because God says, this is a prescription for how your soul and your body work. And if you go around in a circle holding this palm leaf and this, uh, and, the, and this citron and this palm and, and this, all the minimal, okay. trust me, you're going to, you're going to, ha it's going to have a spiritual effect on you. You could fight it. Or you could not fight it. You could feel it or not feel it. You have to, you have, you have to be in the moment. So if you get yourself out of that, certainly if you get yourself out of the habit, out of the habit of expressing every little thing that bothers you, you're probably going to stop giving, there's some kind of pleasure that obviously comes from expressing it. And he's he's cutting off the feedback, a, a positive reinforcement of the process of being critical. Is, am I onto something? You are, you are. And at the same time, you know, as much as he's enjoying being critical, or he feels a relief from it, or this is a habit, like you said, like I said before, there are principles, you know, that 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 must that are a part of this program. For instance, one of one of the foundational principles, which oftentimes shocks couples is the first thing I say, even in the introductory you know, message that I, in the, the introductory packet that I give them is that we are no longer gonna be talking about our relationship with each other. We, we stop all talking about our relationship. I said, unless it's positive. If you wanna tell your wife that she's doing a great job and she's pretty and she's beautiful and you're more in love with her than ever and you have so much confidence in where we're going, that's fine. But all dialogue associated with 
I'm not happy. I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not sure if we're going to make it. I don't know where we're going to go from here. You're not really doing your the job. Dreaded D word. Divorce. Any of this stuff. We are from now on. It is verboten. We stop that completely. Just that one thing alone. I can't tell you how many hours couples spend talking about their relationship in negative ways, even when they try to doing it because they think that they're going to improve the relationship. It's a disaster. And and just that one thing alone. So therefore, they're going to talk about what? Oh, there's tons of things. They can talk about kids. They can talk about a vacation they want to take. They can talk about Ron Coleman's beautiful, wonderful podcast. They can talk about, you know, some of their gratitudes that they have for each other. They can talk about the, the, what happened at the gym. They can talk about this jerk at the office. They can talk about whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. You meant with each other, not in the session. Yeah, yeah, yes, hundred percent. They, I, mean, I somehow thought you oh. said you're gonna, they're gonna come to me for marriage counseling. We're not gonna talk about the relationship. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I just raised my rate for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they never. That's just one thing. That's just asur mira. We 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 go away from negativity and that. Well, you also you're giving them a device. Put it in the in, in the peckle. Put it in the in your little box in the packet that we save for when we go to Doctor Feldman. Yeah, and even again, don't forget they don't. We don't, they don't talk about the negativity together with me. Right, right, right. They right. also don't do so. They, they're welcome to, I always tell them, if you want to, you know, bitch and moan about your spouse, I'm all ears, come at me. I'm 100% here for you. I want to hear every single detail. And I want to understand how it hurts you and the effects it has. And if you're upset and you want to cry, I'm all here for that. But we're not talking about that anymore with our spouse. So how about now you have the situation, and this is something that you definitely see, even in our community, where a wife feels she, or a husband, could either way, feel, uh, the spouse feels that he or she has been sold a bill of goods about a person. And the spouse isn't living up to it. He's not keeping his job, or it turns out that he has ADD, or it turns out that she uh, you know, lost 79 pounds, the, when she went to seminary and she's now bigger than he is after one baby and he can't find himself like that's not grown apart there's, there's, that's those are actually negative changes and there's real disappointment there she says yeah i did I, I i guess i loved him when we you know i mean look love is a is, love is is a first of all a fraught term right in our community people don't necessarily fall in love before they get married, because that's not, we're not operating quite on that emotional basis. But I, I definitely was looking forward to, to, to being married to this person. I liked his laugh. I liked her sense of humor, five things, 20 things, but I, I can't stand to look at her now, or I can't stand the way he snores now. They, the change is negative. And, and what do you do with that? Excellent question. That's an excellent question. Yeah. So my general approach to what I consider barriers for connection, which that all these would fall under barriers to connection, is I have what's called um, the must-have marriage pyramid. And what that is, is and it's, it's a worksheet that I have. You can find it on my website, on my blog. What that is, is just like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we create a must-have pyramid of must-haves that we want in our relationship. These are things that, if I, I absent these things, I can't be in a relationship with you. 
So for instance, the first, the lowest level on mine, as opposed to Maslow that has like safety and, and like shelter and stuff like that, the lowest one on mine is trust. If I can't trust you, right, then I can't be in a relationship. If I'm nervous that you're sleeping around with other people, marriage is over. Okay. The next one on mine is responsibility. And now when, when I say responsibility, I particularly mean in my case, since I'm married with kids, uh, your ability to take care of the children. So for instance, if you if, if every other day in the summertime, you keep telling me, oh yeah, I went shopping and I left the kids in the car, you know, it was no big deal. It was only 45 minutes. Marriage is over, right? There's no getting around. There's no gratitude you can express to me that's going to move past that, right? The next one is kindness, right? If our relationship is a constant battle zone all the time, you know, I can't, I can't function. The next one is intimacy, sex. If there's, if, if, if for whatever reason it's gone, obviously not a medical condition, but then, and then the, the last one is tre respectful treatment. So these are the foundations of marriage and I have each person make their own pyramid. What is it? What are your must haves? What are things that you say without this, I can't continue. And it serves two purposes. The, the two purposes are not only does it help me define what it is that I'm willing to walk out the door for, but more importantly, it helps me drop everything else. That's the real kicker. Because if it doesn't fall out of my period, I let it go. My wife, he snores. Okay, that's painful, but that's not on my pyramid. Goodbye. But we don't ignore <laughs> that stuff, Ron. That's the good thing. The good thing is, is that if the guy's snoring or doesn't have a job or whatever it is, you know, um, you know, we take care of those little things too, because those little things obviously, you know, can fester and feel really bad. And um, and so we we focus. That's the point. Like especially when I'm working with the woman, we're getting some of that stuff out, um, and then we're seeing what to do with it. Is there some action to take about it, or is it just like getting it out of our bodies and you know, then focusing on the you know, on the positive stuff. Sometimes it's it's a mixture of both. But we're you know that man who was very critical and set and kept sending his wife critical texts. So that's my husband focuses a lot on behavior, changing behavior. But he also listens to the man. What's going on under the surface? Why is this making you angry? If the if he can if my husband can share with the wife about making changes, then that's great too. But some things are just really bad habits. So going back to like how you and your wife have kind of grown together, that's a choice that has to do with the values that you've chosen. And sometimes a lot of times with couples that we get, um, we're, we're sharing and the like different values with them that they might not have heard. Cause our mo most, most of the people we work with are from secular society. Some of them might have more, you know, Christian values, but, um, Sometimes they've never heard some of the things that we share with them. And so with that intention, things also change. So it's also, that's what's really helping here too. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of behavioral things that minor tweaks and minor shifts that people can make. And sometimes it, it what, what may seem minor to you, you know, may, may be very difficult for others. I, I've worked with couples where, you know, the, the fear of abandonment in the sense of, external relationships, you know, cheating has been an issue. And to to work with a couple on putting some boundaries around their relationships with people of the opposite gender, you know, that's a big deal today. You know, like it, not necessarily as extreme as the Mike Pence rule, but headed in that direction.
And sometimes those shifts have made huge changes in the level of trust and the level of intimacy and the and the safety that they feel in their relationship. And they're not that big of a deal. When you're thinking of a 60-year marriage, you know, to reject that lunch with a male coworker is not a, you know, unless you have a girlfriend with you, is not a big deal. You know, when you talk about kids and grandchildren and sharing a home together for 60 years, who cares? This coworker is going to disappear in two weeks. He'll be transferred somewhere else. What's the big deal? But there's a lot of pressure from secular society telling us all kinds of other things, you know, like, again, like what you had shared before, like we, you know, kind of do our, our, you know, some of our Orthodox traditions. We don't understand why, but we do them anyway. We have that intention to connect to God that way. So it's the same. So with the secular values, sometimes in the world, it's do what you feel like when you feel like it, you know, but meanwhile, it doesn't work in marriage and there needs to be other um, values and intentions. And that that could be very freeing to the couple because then they have emotional safety where they didn't. And my husband and I have been very lucky. And I, I you know, share in the book that is my I wrote a memoir from becoming like I was an I was an atheist. I grew up Jewish, but had, you know, didn't didn't oh. know much about Judaism. That That's my oh, book. God said what? Oh. Yeah, that said what? Hashtag my orthodox life. But I wrote it for anyone of any faith and even someone without faith at all, because it's my journey as a 23 year old, um, you know, atheist, hippie living in Berkeley, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, my boyfriend from college got into what I thought was a cult and I, you know, went to go rescue him. Yeah, there it is. There Which it is. cult was this? Or Samaeach or Asian Torah? <laughs> Asian Torah. Yeah, <laughs> I literally got on a plane to go rescue him and then was less like, what is this? And, you know, everybody's trying to explain to me, this is Orthodox Judaism. And I grew up right next to Muncie, which is one of the biggest Hasidic and Orthodox communities in the world. And I'm just like, I'm not doing what they're doing. And you're telling me that's what they're doing. So so we actually, you know, my husband and I, we got to date secular in the secular world as, you know, college sweethearts. And then, you know, he made this choice to get into this like Orthodox Judaism. And then I went along for the journey a little bit as God was like holding this carrot on the Is this story about David? I won't I won't tell the end, but I, okay. I yeah, but so, so, yeah. Wait, David, so you went to Aish before you became a, a Chabadnik? Yes, yes. I actually went to a, a bunch of Litvish yeshivas. I went to Eisha Torah. I went to Or Sameach. I went to Nitivot <laughs> with uh, Rabbi Sacher Meir in Israel. And then I went to um, uh, Lakewood East in Matersdorf. And then I went to Tel's yeshiva here in Chicago. And finally ended up as Chabad. <laughs> wow. So you so you learned how to learn. That's correct. And then you went to Chabad. That's exactly right. And then you learned how to learn Hasidus. <laughs> and be happy. <laughs> and be happy. So, you know, because, you know, I went to H for the summer program, uh, the old Jerusalem fellowships. Oh, yes. Uh, 85, summer of 85. And then I came back to the States. I, I made a commitment, but I didn't quite know what I was doing. This is not for the, this is for the podcast, but no one's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> then I was in Chicago at Northwestern for three years. And I, and I was adopted by the Chabadniks in Chicago. I probably met you, Ron. I bet you I met you. I was in Asia Torah in 88, 89. I don't know if you were there during that time. I was there in 88, 89. Okay, we'll have to work this out. Yeah, yeah. That's when I went back there. I went back after law school. Um, okay, we'll figure this out. Yeah, I bet you I've met you. And then I also with Dove Hill Klein here in Chabad. Of, of course, of course. I've all the time. And then we have to have been at the same Shabbos table. That's right. I'm sure. Well, I'll tell you something. I'll, so, well, I'll end the story with this and then a great story about marriage. Okay. My son 
my second son, my second oldest son, went out with a girl and he came back that night. He says, very good date. Her father knows you. As you know me. He met you at Northwestern at the Chabad house. He, he learned in Israel and he was home for a Shabbos and he went to the Chabad house for Shabbos. Wow. I said, wait a minute. I remember, I remember such a person. And I remember being very, very impressed by him. And we spent the whole afternoon talking. And it's incredible. I remember and this is before smartphones and anything. So even after Shabbos, was, I, I, I didn't remember his name. I didn't remember how to contact. And I spent the next 30 years saying, I wonder what happened to that guy. I felt he could have been my best friend. Wow. wow. Amazing. It was him. He remembered me why, because so he's he's Yitzhak Feldman, who is who is the rabbi in Palo Alto, California. He knows the name of everyone he ever met. He would have been a great Chabad shliach. And, but he remembered me because I'm a little bit of high profile, the public, uh, you know, interest stuff as a lawyer. But what I found out after my son got engaged to this girl, which he did, and they're now married, and they, is that everyone I met when the engagement was announced said, oh, Yitzhak Feldman, he's my best friend. <laughs> everyone who ever met this person feels that they could be uh -huh. the best friend. That's a, so a person like that, you can't go wrong with. They have, they have an incredible marriage and a beautiful marriage, and so do my, so do my son and, and his daughter. Um, I, I tell you, there's so much more that we could talk about, and we will. But believe it or not, we have used up the better, far more than the better part of an hour. Yeah. I do want to just advertise this at some point. Yes, so talk about it. This is what we're. This is the only reason I do this is so people can push their their books. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, I'll um yeah. So I wrote a book called Fifty Two Tweets to a Great, to a great marriage. marriage. Okay, yes. great marriage, not good. All right. Yes, and um that you know that what what I do in this book is I I take some of my best tweets that. Um, it's not up yet. Though. It's not. It's not up yet. It's going to come up in a few days. Yeah. So the you know the point of this book is to you know Twitter gives you 280 characters. Now of course you can go a little bit longer than that. But there's I, a, hate, I hate those by the way. I never. I, I I don't read them. I don't read them. You never click the show more. You just stick with the first 280. That's not what I'm here for. <laughs> That's not what I use Twitter for. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of thought that goes into my tweets, and oftentimes. It's not, you know, oftentimes it's conveyed perfectly the way I want it to, but there's usually a lot more behind it. So this book here, what it does is I take 52 of my best tweets and I've written, I've composed essays about each one and describe with full of stories and client case studies and, you know, um, different tips that people can use based on each tweet. And it's designed to read each tweet individually. And there's a whole kind of mental um, absorption of the of the attitude and the perspective towards marriage that's very positive and very deep and very impactful for each. Oh, that, no, I mean that, that's a great that, that's a great premise for a book. I wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very good, and um, some of my best writing is in there, and it's just very, very um, powerful. And you can learn it with your spouse if you'd like, or you can just take it on as a personal. 
you know, journey for each one. It, obviously one a week is, you know, 52 I chose because couples can learn one a week and really focus on the message there from each tweet. So it's really, it's a great, it was a, a lot of fun to write. Fascinating. And, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So good. So make sure that I, that I hear about it when it comes out yes. and I'll definitely help you, help you push it. Thank you. And, um, Great talking to you guys. Have a great Pesach, which will be over when people hear this Passover. <laughs> really nice meeting you, Miriam. And of course, you and I have spoken before, David, but we never looked at each other, although it does seem likely. If you were at 88, 89 was when I was there. Yeah, yeah. I, I went back there. And, and so you, you you probably looked younger. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm, no, no changes whatsoever. I, I, I was bald. It was Ron, crazy. Ron, I'd love to gift you the book. So if you can somehow get an address to David, we'll both sign oh. it. That's and you'll very see nice. pictures of him. I love the there. idea. Thank you. Okay, good. You'll see pictures of him in there. You'll say, oh my gosh, I know that guy. <laughs> I'm going to put it together. Boy, now, I, now I'm telling you, and not only that, I have pictures of almost everybody who was in the base medrash in those years. And you have to be in those pictures. And, wow. I gotta, and, and they're posted on the Asian Torah website somewhere too. Oh, oh wow. the, uh, No, the Facebook, the Facebook page of Asian Torah. I'm going to find them and send them to you. Okay, great. Thanks so much, guys. Hope I hope that, you know, I, I know that we there's so much to talk about in this topic. Maybe we'll do it again. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.